the dawn of civilization. Primitive, dangerous, exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs the most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Come out of his cave. You're listening to the Knuckle Drags Extravaganza and, of course, on Cave Dweller Music if you've joined us through the uh, nefarious means of Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are. We have a guest that we spoke about last week on the show. Jem from Dead is joining us. How's it going? How are you this evening? Pretty good. I've had a couple of beers, actually, so let's. Ooh. who knows how this is going to go. Yeah. A good bit of social lubricant as well. We're going to have a chat about a few things here. Um, not only you had the launch for the album of uh, last week, and it was it was the 14th, the 17th it was. Yep. But before we get into that, you did a stint on the road supporting whores, and I saw on your Facebook that you guys have or you had a snack buffet. Now, my question for you is what is your go-to road snack? Obviously, you're on the road. You might not be able to hit like a, a Woolies or something like that. But if you had control over it, what is your go-to road snack? I have no memory of this snack buffet. I'm going to have to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was like bananas. Oh, yes. the berries on the yeah, dash. Yeah. Basically anything that's shaped like a dick, I'll eat it. <laughs> um, but Hot I, dogs, yeah, like we ice are, cream poles. <laughs> we are a big fan both of bananas, um, cucumbers, um hummus uh although that one doesn't sort of travel so well in the van like as in you no. kind of got to eat that in one <laughs> i guess anything that's not too you know like it's yeah it's so easy when you're just like driving long distances and going to the petrol station it's so easy to just fill up on maxi bonds or whatever yeah so um i know that i feel better um if i don't yeah eat anything you know too carby or um, oily or whatever, like before I play. So the Chico um, rolls, even though it is shaped like a dick, that's not going to be on <laughs> yeah. the menu. Yeah, you're right. That one's a an, yeah. I might have to um, reassess my uh, assessment. <laughs> yeah, but because because a carrot definitely. Um, but I would yeah, definitely. I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch a Dagwood dog. I mean, we're we're both vegetarians anyway. So yeah, uh, I try not to admit that openly too much around metalheads but um we are vegetarians how do you find metalheads reacting to you being a vegetarian like i feel (laughs) as though it just from my experience at least and maybe this is like growing up in and around the hardcore scene but there are like there are more vegans in that genre than there aren't is it i think it's um i'm old enough to be able to say this i think it's changed a lot uh so I reckon when I was younger, um, the whole metal thing was a lot more, um, you know, kind of macho-y, I suppose. Which Very always, much like drink beer, smoke cigarettes, eat steak. Yeah, which I always found laughable considering so much of the music is like cosplay and, you know, it's like just fucking get over it, guys. Um but, yeah, I think you're right. I think now there's probably a lot more people that, I mean, it just kind of depends. Like, yeah, I've never, n- neither Jace or I have ever been interested in genres at all, you know. It's more just like, well, we'll do what we do. And, and I mean, that's the other weird thing. We've just been doing what we do for the last 12, 13 years. And even in that time, 
it means we've gone in and out of different genres just depending on what's kind of in. Does, does that make sense? Like, yeah, it like, does. Like, like, like the, going the, the same record will suddenly be, oh, now it's a noise rock record. Now it's a sludge record. Now it's a, you know, it's like it's the same fucking record, dude. It's like just. They just Who put cares? a little veneer over it as uh, as to whatever's in vogue. But that's the thing. You guys have been releasing music for, like you said, 12, 13 years now, and the discography is getting up there to someone like Sparks or Willie Nelson. Um, <laughs> and you can't – it wouldn't make sense to play the same sound all the time. We were talking before we started recording this, but extreme music something that you've done regardless of, you know, time, mood, how you're feeling. So having it stick in that sort of cookie-cutter mould doesn't really make much sense. No, and I've never had the ability to, honestly. Um, yeah, like I know Jace, grew, he grew up in regional New South Wales in, in Griffith when he was sort of a late sort of, well, a teenager. And so he... Um, he sort of was forced into having to do like cover band stuff. Yeah, the classic um, like at a pub yeah. or an RSL at it on an evening. Yeah, so he's got and he's you know the primary songwriter and he understands songwriting far better than I ever will. But I never had that experience, so I um, have never enjoyed trying to do what someone else did on the drums i've never been good at it i've never um yeah i've never taken pleasure in trying to you know recreate something um that i've heard before so uh it's not you know it's funny like i mean even as a kid when i first started playing in bands you know often people would sort of go it sort of seems like you're kind of making it a lot harder for yourself by playing the music that you play. It's like, yeah, you know, that's like, the well, point. Why would I? Why would I do something that someone else has already done? Yeah, but for me, that would be just as hard. Like for me to sort of get up and try and do like a Foo Fighters song or a Taylor Swift song or whatever would actually be, you know, more challenging and ultimately just um, really unrewarding. Um, so it's not like it's not like when we're writing music, we're trying to go. Oh, like as far as we're concerned, we're not really that challenging, you know. Particularly compared to a lot of the other stuff that's out there. Um, but we just do what we love, and it just kind of happens to. Um, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It's we're definitely interested in doing something new as well. Like we don't want to. But, yeah, we don't sort of dwell on it too much. Um, yeah, that's – I can't even remember what the question was now. But <laughs> No, that's all right. But uh, that's something you – comment that you made segues me quite nicely into an actual question, not regarding dick-shaped food snacks, is uh, The Laughing Shadow is your brand-new record. It's not due out until the 12th of October if the presser that Papa James sent me is to be believed. But you had your launch show uh, on Saturday, the 17th, and you did two shows, if I'm not mistaken. You did an all-ages one in the afternoon and one at night. First and foremost, how did you find the shows? Were the crowd reacting well to the new stuff live? Yeah. Um, so, no, we just did the one. So we're doing an all-ages show um, soon in Castlemaine where we live. Um, and that's at a skate shop. Um, nice. But um, 
we wanted to, I mean, we've always, well, I've always been interested in the whole idea of like, okay, if you're going to do a launch, that should probably be like actually the first place that people can get the record and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, um, and probably partly inspired by the fact that, you know, we've all been pretty um, isolated and, um, you know, you know, separated from each other and spend probably too much time, you know, um, you know, on online and not in the real world. We basically decided, or I should say I decided, I, I sort of run the label side of things, all right, we'll make the record available for about a month um, but not, you know, not through mail order and not online and not. So basically for the time being you can get it at shows and we're actually going to stick it in a few um, like independent record stores as well. Yeah, so there's one, like, I saw there's one up at uh, Bendigo. I think it's trash cold to stocking your records up there. Yes, yeah. So he'll get a few. And, and again, just the idea is just encourage, like, hey, let's, like, kind of reconnect. Like, go to that place. Um, it's a good place. Uh, buy the record, you know, say hello to the person that you're buying it off. Like, it'll, it'll be a good experience. Um, Social interactions in 2022? What are you, mental? Yeah, exactly. Like, how, how do you sort of get them back on? But no, the crowd were really great. We look when we wrote the record. It's it's a pretty different one for us, and which is saying something. Yeah, and it's certainly um, the most. I feel pretty confident in saying this. It's it's the most sort of deliberate and focused record. So I suppose the first couple of albums were just kind of like you know. Uh, what have we got? You know, what do we want to chuck together? Um, not overthinking it too much. And then I started to really make an effort to, you know, put the songs as we wrote them kind of into, you know, into piles in a way, like, oh, that'll be that album, that'll be on this album, you know. But this one we really, really deliberately wrote it from start to finish, bar by bar, like there is not um there is not a single piece of the record that wasn't, you know, deliberately put in that place. And it's we we just rehearsed it again and again and again as one continuous, you know, um, like, you know, 40-minute slab. And once we finished it and recorded it, I said to Jace, I don't, like, I really like this, but I don't think I can play it too many times because it's just really heavy for us it was just very much like we were writing we, we were writing it we were writing it as a way of dealing with we, we had a, quite a few friends die um you know i lost family to covid and um yeah we lost people to suicide and just every every sort of shitty thing that you could think of and it was like this is all we've got you know we can't go on tour we can't do what we normally do so, yeah, when we played it the other night, before we played it, I even said, hey, thanks everyone for coming down and you probably won't do this again in a hurry. But the crowd were excellent and actually had a lot of them coming up to me afterwards saying, you know, just just, just do what you guys want to do. Like, <laughs> no, I, I'm not kidding. I had multiple people say we never come to see you because we know what we're going to see. Like, just do what you want to do and that's that's why we come and that was awesome because it is a pretty different thing for us to play 
the, the set was basically that album, then just two songs. And usually a live set for us would be a lot more, you know, tongue-in-cheek and a lot more taking the piss out of stuff and whatever, <laughs> whereas a whole set of just, you know, fairly emotionally heavy for us music. Um, yeah, so I, I, I couldn't, like, honestly, I've been telling people all week, you know, like it felt like, oh, all these years of sticking to our guns have really, um, I suppose, paid off in the sense that the people that are coming to see us now um, trust us to do what we do because, you know, we've got multiple versions of the band now. Sometimes we're a three-piece, sometimes we're a two-piece, sometimes we do a noise set uh, where I don't play drums and... I'm just pretty amazed that in this day and age when everyone wants, you know, really instant gratification that people are willing to go, all right, we'll go see this band and they might completely, they might play no songs that we've ever heard before. Um, yeah, so the, the crowd were great. Yeah, I can't, can't really thank them enough for the support, you know. Yeah, And that's, yeah, we're used, you know, for most of our career we've, been used to the fact that there might be no one in the crowd. So we had something else alongside the show that was pretty enticing. You had an art show alongside it. Now I've seen plenty of bands that have projections on the screen behind them. And you know what it's like with heavy bands. It's usually some like really obscure dark cartoon or they've got old war footage and they've got it projected behind them. But this is probably the first time that I've actually seen a band have a launch and an art show in the same night. Yeah, so that was, um, I mean, I suppose, so I'm trying to think the best way to answer it. So the artwork for the album, um, so the way we usually do the artwork for all our records is Jace does the uh, initial, Jace does any of the drawings and then Mm -hmm. I kind of do the layout and, you know, work out how it's going to work in the formats of, you know, CD or vinyl or whatever. And for this record, um, Jace made a whole bunch of ceramic sculptures and that became the basis of the artwork. And often what we're trying to do, you know, I mean, we, we just, you know, we're just nerds and we just sort of talk a lot to each other about as as the album's evolving, you know, we've, often we end up sort of creating a little bit of a world, you know, like. It's a very so with, thematic uh, way to approach it. You've got the record itself, but obviously alongside that, you know, you'll go off into this offshoot here, which then leads you into another one, but it is all still tied together by the actual central point, which is the record. Yeah, and it's sort of just like about, I guess it helps us as as we're trying to, you know, as we're working on it together, like it helps give us some direction. It's it's a bit like how, you know, Tolkien kind of, uh, you know, he didn't just start writing The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. He kind of created, you know, okay, what, in what world do these people exist? And then he kind of spells it out. And so we do a lot of that. And um, and the great just thing I, is because, sorry, yeah. Stop you, no, no, it's right. I couldn't help but laugh, but. Um, I literally just started reading The Fellowship of the Ring this afternoon. Um, <laughs> I went down to Hobart uh, last month, if not the month before. Yeah, it was in end of July. 
and I read The Hobbit in basically a week and the co-host for this radio show just it, when ring let's put it this way when rings of power came out he went on about a seven or eight minute diatribe on <laughs> what he liked and what he didn't but so he's been pestering me to start reading lord of the rings and i just started it this afternoon and it's one of those funny serendipitous moments where i've just started reading this book we're here in this interview and you go yeah it's like what tolkien does yeah. with world building i'm like the stars are aligning here's something crazy well, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, as the reader, like, I mean, I, I sort of read all those books before the films were a thing and I didn't, you know, study all of the world building and stuff like it, not, you know, not to any, you know, detail, but it does help you as the, like, as the reader, it helps you mm-hmm. kind of pick, but it probably more helped him, you know, helped him stay on track and made his characters like, you know, um, not sort of do weird, unexpected things or whatever because he's sort of got a backstory and all that. So, yeah, I guess so- you're kind of like building that world gives you a framework that you can work within. Obviously, it does have um, a bit of a bonus for the reader as well, sort of they're entering this world that might be foreign to them. But at the same time, it would be pretty handy to know, okay, these are the parameters that I've set for myself. This is what I'm going to work within when I'm working on this. Yeah. And and I think what is really good with us is because there's just the two of us, we can be at all times actually um, understanding these metaphors and worlds and whatever quite differently to each other, and that's fine. <laughs> like, um, you know, I would probably say I do more of the of that stuff and just kind of relay it to Jace. And he kind of half the time is probably going, yeah, cool, like, good on you, do, do you think? Yeah, sure, man, that's a he, great he, idea. He's kind of, he's in his world, I'm in mine, but there is a crossover. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, then when we um, went to release the record, we thought, well, we should be just, yeah, we should kind of exhibit those artworks, but also, like, the idea was, you know, so for that, and again, I don't know how many people really, um, took it this way, but you know the way that the venue was laid out. It meant that you walked in, and the first thing you saw was that artwork. Um, and then the next room was the room, you know, where uh, we played. And then the next room, they're sort of all in a row, um, was where you could buy the record. So, you know, not everyone's going to sort of, uh, you know, compute it the same way, but we just, you know, it's sort of giving people a bit more context and I'm also a big fan of, you know, just like you were saying before, like a lot of bands use projections and all of that and that's that's cool and I'm happy for them to do that but we really, really like things that are like tangible and that you can, you know, that it physically exist and I'm not a huge fan for me, like if we're playing a rock show, I don't need projections. I don't need, like, I find them almost a bit distracting from, I'm a big fan of that sort of Fugazi school of thought, like turn the lights up. Um, and Less just, is more. Yeah, like w- watch the human because that's actually more engaging. Like even, you know, I, years ago, like when I was in high school, I saw Tool a bunch of times. I mean, hats off to them, like really 
you know, amazing kind of production and it's great, but it also becomes less spontaneous, I suppose, because, you know, they're starting to Yeah, no, I can see because they're, they'd be playing to their light show and to their projection. So you don't really have that spontaneity, that sort of spur of the moment thing. They'd have to go, oh, shit, we're running late to hit this particular cue with the projection. We We better hurry up. Yeah, and I've always found the human element just like really, really engaging anyway. Um, in 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 the sense that, like, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but like, it's in the same way that sometimes you know you see someone just playing an acoustic guitar and it's really intense, and it's less intense if they start adding loop pedals and this and that and. Um, yeah yeah so anyway that's that's how we did it and we we will do the same format um here in castlemaine and we also did it in maryborough of all places with where no one ever plays but we played it that was something that i was gonna ask you about um how did you (laughs) find playing up in in maryborough and for people who are listening who are uh shall we say geographically Illiterate, I think, is a pretty fair way of putting it. Whereabouts in Maryborough and from where you are, how long of a drive that would be? Oh, yeah, so you might, because you're in Brisbane, are you? Indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so there's a Maryborough down here. Um, It's about like half an hour, maybe 40 minutes away from us. It's it's just sort of in... Um, okay, so I'm I'm the geographically illiterate. I thought you meant <laughs> yeah. uh, Maryborough in Queensland. No, no. So it, but it is a town that's not known for any art whatsoever. Um, but there's yeah, unfortunately, the show we played was the last thing to happen there. There was a, a woman running a really oh cool really art gallery yeah for you know about a year and a half, but you know it was just impossible for her to like keep paying the rent during COVID and. Yeah, um, and you, uh, I, yeah. Victoria got absolutely reamed with it. So I could imagine a lot of those really cool art places, you know, zine shops and those kind of places just went by the wayside. Yeah, totally. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, like it, who knows, it's it's the sort of thing where she might, you know, have sort of just sparked something um, because, you know, Australians are incredibly apathetic and tend to sort of sit around in their town yeah. going, oh, nothing happens here. And, you and go, then you're kind of like, you, know, well, you can why make it you... happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah like... I, I know that pain all too well. I grew up in uh, relatively small towns and then it's just look, looking back, I was also one of those kids. It's like, dude, nothing's happening here. What's This sucks. Like I was really lucky towards the back end of high school. They started doing a fair few hardcore shows around, so at least like once a month. Once a yeah. fortnight, there'd be bands coming, you know, from Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Some of those small towns, they kind of look around and go, well, "Was was there nothing happening?" And then- totally, and and Australians are fucking terrified of anything that surprises them. Like, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I love, I love sort of the history we have of really, really, I, I just saw Midnight Oil the other night and I was like. Oh, oh aren't they fantastic? I saw them like up at still, the, like, the just, sunny coast. Yeah, I, I just couldn't believe it. It was like two and a half hours in and they're still just absolutely pounding away. But, um, 
But yeah, we do as you know, as a culture, we we are fucking terrified of anything that's a bit different, a bit challenging. Um, and yeah, as a result, you know, if you're in a small town and you want to try something out, um, you know, like we, like we just have in this country. I don't want to get too negative, but we just, no, we no, like, by all means, we, we have like festival bands. You know what I mean? Like there's just. Yeah, this tiny little yeah, band. It's mean. like uh, you can be a shitty reggae band. You can be an alt country band. You can be <laughs> there's, there's a few things you can be, and then you're allowed to play at the festivals. And I always think, isn't the whole point of a festival to actually like, you know, oh, surprise you? Like to go, um, oh shit, I've never seen that before. Like what? Yeah. What is what is what is the worst? You know, like, like if you put you know King Parrot on at a folk festival, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? You that know, would some, be hilarious. Though. Some, would, some I, little kid will absolutely lose his shit and go bonkers. <laughs> and, and, you know, there'll be a couple of dads that go, oh, fucking finally. And yeah, exactly. You, I was like, oh, I'm sick of these blokes with dreadlocks and guitars. Yeah. Finally, someone out there. And a few boring people will we'll get up and leave for a while. Like, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? It's like, all right. It's, it's, it's yeah. fine. They'll, cu- they'll come back once the dreadlock guy's back, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, gone off on a tangent again, but, but no, um, I am. Um, I know exactly what you mean when it comes to those festival bands. I was looking at a couple of festival lineups recently. I think like uh, just the classic Triple J ones, like Splendor, Falls, and those kind of festivals. I look at it and go, obviously, you know, I think it's fair to say both you and I are not their core demographic. But no. then they do they do playlists of the lineup, and you're sitting there thinking, "Fuck, haven't I heard this song like?" Three tracks ago, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that was just yeah. We wanted to, um, yeah, I suppose do something a little bit different, but still have it be, um, you know. I, I guess the, one of the things with us is yeah, because we do the artwork for our records and we make the, you know, we print the packaging ourselves and that sort of thing. It's just like you know, just give people a chance to see the whole picture and. And also maybe that for some people, like we've noticed recently, we actually have a few people coming to our shows that are more like visually inclined than, than you know, they're, they're visual artists. And Yeah, okay. And I thought, oh, well, be good to kind of almost um, be a bit more inclusive to them, you know, to say like, hey, you're buying a ticket to this uh, and you won't, you know, because maybe for some of those people, like, you know, three bands or something is a bit boring and a bit, you know, so you're buying a ticket to this, but there's more to it, you know, so you can you can check out the art as well. And and we've always loved, uh, you know, the fact that art can exist in in different spaces. It doesn't have to be in a, a, a you know, I, I don't personally, I don't gel that well with the kind of clinicalness of a gallery you know i, I know there's a reason yeah. why they're like that no i know exactly what you mean you walk in and you think am i here to see art or am i here to get a fucking operation because like yes the, the pristine nature of it it's almost it looks more or less like a hospital you know yeah and you sort of you you don't even want to speak too loudly and that's you know for you and i coming from like <laughs> the music like, world yeah, that's, loud very, speaking that's pretty weird that's exactly what you need yeah, it's kind of like we're used to. It's normal for us to be halfway through a song and people to be yelling obscenities at you or something, and you're just like, "That's all right." Um, so yeah, but the show the show went really really well, and um, we'll do the same sort of format here. 
with the only difference being um, we're trying really hard to get uh, some of the local kids in because, yeah, there's not a lot for them to be able to do um, and and they're generally, you know, excluded from from gigs because of the, the whole sort of licensing plus, yeah. thing. Yeah. So we'll, we shall see. You know, we're, I mean, we're old, so they might just go, <laughs> we don't want to see these dinosaurs play, you know, this music, but, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. With the visual art stuff, is that something that you would be keen to have as a more permanent fixture of the shows? I know earlier you said doing the same thing repetitively can and and does great on you, but it seems like there would be a bit of a crossover between visual artists and musicians. Mm. It, would that be something that you'd be keen to continue in the future or, or do different variations of? Um, we're definitely into it, uh, but we also, you know, have, you know, as a matter of necessity, you've always had to be very like, you know, we're essentially a band that if you give us a PowerPoint and either permission to be allowed or enough time before the cops arrive, we, <laughs> we, 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 we can be do sorted. what we do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even adding the third member recently has been like, oh, God, now when I want to book a show with the three of us, that is so much more, um, you know, I forgot, you know, um, how much Dude, harder get, that is to coordinate. You know, trying to get more than yourself, yeah, in one place at a time is a nightmare. I never understand how, you know, massive orchestras manage to do it because they've got what, like, twenty plus members, and you need to make sure that everyone's free. Like, well, they're getting try- paid, so that's their yeah. job. That's the <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's a, a fair point. It's, it's kind of the equivalent of saying, how, "How does McDonald's get all these people to turn up every day?" <laughs> well, that's their job. So, yeah, okay, you know. fair call. Um, um, but yeah, but yeah, look, we, we would do it, um, but I also like, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a tendency in this band. I'll have a bit of an idea, and Jace just goes, "Yeah, cool, no worries," like goes along with it. But then I realise, oh, that's you know that's more work for him. Yeah. Um, so the good stuff with this is because they're sculptures, they're actually pretty, pretty straightforward. Like Jace has an idea of how he wants to present them, and as long as he has a flat space, um, then he can do that. Uh, yeah. So it's not it's not like hanging artwork on the walls. Um, and we might look at even we've got some friends that work with other materials where you know like where you can make sort of figurines and and masks and stuff so that sort of rubbery um you know you can make molds and so that could be something we do down the line but i mean it's also for me it's a matter of like you know i i do all the booking i run the label um and i really really want to just like playing the music is the priority it's just so, all the admin stuff associated with it. It's kind of an, a necessary evil. Yeah. So if, yeah, we're, we're definitely into doing it, but we, it, it wouldn't be like when we go on tour, oh, we've got to bring all of this art with us as well. Like it's 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 always been a bit of a, frankly, a bit of a challenge, you know, because the, the majority of venues we play are really ill-equipped as far as even how to sell your merch. Um, so, and the merch itself, you know, we would consider that part of our like art output, you know, like we yeah, don't, exactly. we don't tend to, even our t-shirts, we don't tend to make t-shirts that are 
Um, and nothing against this. Like a, a lot of classic metal shirts are really a um, like an an advertisement for the band. Like they just have the band name as big as possible, and um, that doesn't like half of our shirts don't even have our band name on them. They're just kind of something cool that we you know thought looked good. Yeah, but, yeah. But presenting it is actually a real like challenge given the venues we play. Um, so yeah, it's again, it's a really long answer, but it's just a matter of being realistic. So we wouldn't, yeah, if we're playing, you know, on a four band bill or something. That, that's the other thing that's sort of what we're doing is if it's our show, then then you'll be able to do it. But if you're, yeah. you know, at like a mini festival or something like that, or if you're supporting another band, you can't really be like, oh, hey guys, can we have all of our our statues around please yeah exactly and and so because we, we've also been doing um we have a whole lot of like i guess set dressing like and again yeah. the ones that we can we can move around quite easily they're actually just all chases hand drawn them just on cardboard um, <laughs> oh and, that's diy as fuck i love yeah. that and 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 it's yeah we really like doing it um and and for these shows we're doing it that way but again it's only if it's our gig and it's and we're the you know headliner. I'm, I'm using air quotes, but um, then then we'll do it that way, and we're sort of trying to you know create the sort of you know the environment as much as we can that we would want. Uh, but then when we're playing other shows, like when someone said, "Hey, it's my birthday, can you come and play?" We're like, cool, yep, we'll just come and slot in, you know, wherever you need us. You mentioned so, yeah, that. The hand-drawn cardboard stuff <laughs> and wanting things to be sort of like another art output. From what I can gather and from what I've been told by James, you guys are also hand-doing your own vinyl to a certain degree. Could you talk me a little bit through yep. that? Yeah, so we use, I used to print like our sleeves, like all of them um, by hand. Uh, so, you know, I'm a amateur really screen printer like I'm, i wouldn't consider myself a particularly good one and in some ways in recent years i've gotten worse um <laughs> but but that's because i've just gone you know what i'm just gonna have fun when i do it like I, somewhere along the line what was it oh it was when i started playing um footy for like we do like a um a fundraising footy game um in this oh rec link yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's like that it's based on that yeah um and and I I love footy like I grew up just loving it but I'm um I'm tiny you know so it was never going to be um something that I could really do you know um seriously and just and, as a side note um to clarify for the Brisbane based and oh yeah, international listeners yes you yeah. do mean AFL yeah um, you know, I mean Aussie rules yeah um and. Anyway, when we started doing like training and stuff for the uh, for the game, this is a few years ago when we started doing it, like maybe four or five years ago. I was like, oh yeah, it's actually quite nice to just do something you kind of shit at, like because yeah. because <laughs> I've been so obsessed with music. I've Dude, been it's like, really freeing, isn't it? it is, kind of yeah. understanding that you're shit at something, but just <laughs> but it's doing fun. it. Yeah. yeah, just doing it for the fuck of it. Like you just yeah. get so much joy going, oh, this isn't the greatest thing that I've ever done, but I really enjoy doing it. I'm the same with cricket. Rubbish cricketer, but yeah. 
there's just like you sort of get caught up in like the team atmosphere and then the camaraderie of it. And then, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's fun to do something that you shit at. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I think that's probably really healthy as well. And so, anyway, with the printing, I sort of I don't get too bogged down in being perfect anymore. I just, you know, have fun when I'm printing stuff. But I used to print every single one of our record sleeves one by one. Um, and then basically I realized this is insane because it's so time consuming uh, and I can't really charge like what anything remotely what's realistic for how much time I've put into them. Because um, it's like charging yourself. Yeah, or just like not everyone. That's the, that's the other thing. Some people want a handmade record. Some people just want a record and they don't care too much. So now I do a bit of both. So I usually yeah, yeah. do like for this record. I'm doing 50 that are made by hand myself and the other 250 of this pressing are, you know, just the the factory will print the sleeves and then that way it's like you can choose which one you want. Like the handmade one costs more. The handmade ones always sell out. Yeah. Um, But I don't want to be busting a gut trying to sell 100 of them or 200 of them. I just want to go, yep, I know if I make 50, I can sell them. They're going to go. Yeah, and if and if there's a few left over, well, I can give them to people that I want to give them something special. Like it's all it's all really manageable, and it's not dragging me down. And we're not, you know, like the Melvins or some fucking band where they're you know limited pressing sell out in literally minutes. We yeah, we put it out, and you've usually got at least minimum you've got a few weeks to decide if you want to buy it or not. And if you miss it, well, you know, get over it because we'll do another record in six months. So it's fine, you know. Um, but yeah, look, it's all that's been like I might have even said this last time I was on Cave Dweller, but you know, I started making records when I was a kid, like when I was like 14. And I did not until maybe I was 20, I had not ever heard of the term DIY. And and frankly, I do remember hearing that you kind of you did it off your own bat, and then you heard DIY, and you're like, "Huh?" Yeah, I found that really peculiar. I found that really peculiar because, as far as I could tell, and how else are you going to do it? Exactly, and I still, still honestly, I think, look, half of the people, look, it's fine. Like you know, be proud of what you do, absolutely. But this this whole idea, like, let's not kid ourselves that you've made this, you know decision to be DIY like none of us have you know record labels beating down the door saying you know hey I want to release your shit and we're going no 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 you know like no we want to do it ourselves (laughs) we're we're, we're doing it ourselves because that's actually the only way it would happen but it's also a mixture of things because it's that and also um, when you really care about something a lot as most people do about their own music. Like you care about it to a degree that no one else could or should. Yeah. So it just then sort of stands to reason that it's it's kind of the old cliche, like if you want something done properly, do it yourself. Like because the more that you hand over to someone else, um, the it's not – it's not a bad thing to do that. It's not, but it it just means you've got to give up that part of it. You've got to go, you know, even if you say, hey, I want a matte finish on the paper, um, half the time they'll just turn around and do it in glossy because who the, they don't 
you're like, you're a fucking, you're no one. <laughs> like, you're not an important client, you know. So then you get it back and you oh, okay, okay, I've got to work with this. So at least the more I do myself, at least if there's a mistake, uh, it's only me that is to blame, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. I know what you mean. We've spoken about the, re- we've spoken around the record, I think it's fair to say, the brand new one that's coming out on the 12th of October. Um, how did, obviously you guys, you know, I wouldn't say genre jump is genre jump. There we go. Got it. I wouldn't say that that is exactly what you do, but every dead record has a different flavor to it. What kind of flavor were you thinking about when you were in the process of the laughing shadow? You mentioned that it was like a pretty heavy record, a pretty deliberately written record. Um, Mm. But how did you guys find doing this one to your long back catalog of other stuff? Well, it was very, um, like, much more deliberate than any of the others, and I'm just trying to, like, trying to cast my mind back to exactly how it would have started. But we um, we had, at the time, when the pandemic hit, we had an album, Raving Drooling, that we were just about to release. Um, so we released it anyway because we just weren't going to, you know, you weren't going to sit, sit around on it. waiting. No. Yeah, sit on it indefinitely. And what it ended up being a pretty strict thing for the, a year and a half, two years for you guys down there. Totally. I mean, we, we've not managed to tour that record or have a launch or anything for it at all. Um, and we've pretty much sold out of the second or third pressing. So it's kind of like, all right, well, it's it's done what it needed to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, On to the next one. But we also had at that time another album that was about, you know, um, all, almost almost all recorded, like as in uh, we had seven of, of nine songs or something that were that finished. So the plan was to just finish that record. But then, you know, COVID happened and, and it sort of, oh, shit, you know, what do we do? Because uh, we couldn't get into record and we you know we were going to finish recording in the states we couldn't do that so we had to kind of reassess a lot of things and then we just kind of went all right you know what because once we cancelled like a lot of gigs cancelled a us and an australian tour we went we're not going to bother we're not going to do that thing that a lot of people did, which is like rebook, 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 you know, and cancel and cancel and cancel and all of that. Oh, dude. I, the amount of shows that I had tickets to and yeah. got rebooked was such a nightmare. And I thought I was real clever. I was living in Innisfail, in Innisfail which is like North Queensland before everything shit the bed. And I was like, I'm going to be, it's going to be great. I'm going to move down to Toowoomba. Brisbane's really close by. I'm going to see all these gigs. Got down there the first day I started work, COVID hit, everything shit the bed. And then after about, I think it was like a year, gigs started to come back. And then once gigs started coming back, I I feel like every musician in Australia has had to cancel a gig because of COVID at this point. You just see it on the social media, be like, hey, sorry, guys, we can't do it, Um, which I can imagine would be a nightmare for for them. But you guys basically just went, by the sounds of it, fuck it we'll do a brand new record well we just weren't interested in um like we were gutted we're absolutely gutted to not be able to play but we weren't interested in 
um, sort of bashing our head against the wall, you know, and it sort of seemed like, all right, what can we do now? Like what? how can we actually make a positive, I suppose, out of this? Like how can we make use of this? Because the thing that we love doing and the thing that we've practised our whole lives we can't do anymore. So then we just thought, all right, let's just really focus on writing um, more music um because we you know it sounds extreme now but you gotta remember like no one knew like when we would be able to play again and there was no fucking like in all of that government support we were just ignored the whole time oh it was ridiculous like a really good mate of mine is a drummer down in melbourne and he played in a kids band and he had like yeah, all of those gigs were just shot to shit. He had to move to doing online drum lessons and he's going, I, there's no support for me. Like I'm I'm out here trying to like fend everything off my own back and it sounds like a pretty consistent story from a lot of the musicians that I've spoken to is, you know, Harvey Norman got fucking how much in, in JobKeeper yeah. and then the musicians got not like well, somewhere between. Yeah, we got nothing, and we were, we're somewhere between fuck all and nothing. We got nothing, and and it was fucking humiliating because there were like grants that you could apply for, where it was like you know they're gonna give them to uh, literally one percent of the people that are eligible. Like it was just like yeah. a, a lottery at that point. So yeah, we thought, look, how do we um, how do we use this time? kind of positively and and one thing really for us was well we've never actually taken a break literally never taken a break in 10 years from from touring and it's a full stop for you yeah and it's the only way that it was going to happen um because we're just not that way inclined and we also you know it was like all right how do we use this positively and basically the the kind of long format is that's how i grew up playing like i grew up playing a lot of, you know, 20-minute songs, 40-minute songs, um, you know, hour-long sets that were only one song. Um, that was really normal for me. I grew up yeah, really, yeah. Like, um, really into bands like Pink Floyd and Hendrix and um, King Crimson and stuff. And so the bands I was in were taking that stuff sort of to the logical, you know, next conclusion. Um, so... Yeah, and we actually had the opening song, so the song that's like already out on Bandcamp. We had that written um, before we even formed Dead, and we like recorded it in our old band. Um, but I was never quite happy with it, so it didn't come out. And and I feel kind of vindicated now because yeah, like, finally, finally, sort of, had, sort of had an idea to go. Let's just use that as a bit of a like. Let's write something around that. And Jace had actually already written like like sort of the companion to that, I suppose, which is the first song of Side B. Um, and then again, like I was saying before, that whole thing where we're often thinking kind of different things to each other, but it's okay because we're just working on it. Um, we basically just, yeah, we just wanted to write something that was simultaneously one long thing. Yeah but also made up of, you know, smaller movements and not we had no interest in doing the doom thing of like sitting on two chords for 20 minutes. And <laughs> it's totally fine. I like, no, you know, like I, I, I love the, that shit. 
but it's that's been the reason I was laughing because I know exactly what you mean. I love Doom, think it's fantastic. When it gets into like funeral Doom and they're playing the same two or three chords for you know 10 minutes straight, it's the best music to zone out to. But if you're wanting to listen to it to like get into it musically, it's not quite there, is it? Totally. And look, again, I'm old enough to go, fuck, I've lived through that many waves of it. Like the, the first <laughs> You've the seen first, it before. The first time Sun came to Melbourne, no one was there. Like I, I was standing there in the hi-fi bar, which holds like over a thousand people. Yeah, yeah. And there was there was like a hundred of us or maybe 150. It was an empty room, right? And then and not long after, or maybe around the same time, we did some shows with Electric Wizard. Um, oh, they, dude, nice. They, they did well in Melbourne, but they didn't do well anywhere else. And it was still very much like, you know, outsider stuff. Yeah, And yeah. then a few years later, suddenly all that shit was cool. And, you know, some were already like a, you know, a, they were admitting very much that, you know, they were sort of a rehash of Earth. Um, Which and, are another fantastic band. I love it. Totally. And so it's just like how many fucking generations now have we gone through of, so for me it's like, what's that, you know, Emperor's New Clothes or whatever. It's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I fucking, I loved watching Electric Wizard, you know, night after night. I do, I do really like them. Um, I love Sun. Same. I love a lot of that stuff, but I don't need to, you know, personally, I just I feel like a fraud just doing that sort of thing. So anyway. Jace was definitely more probably influenced by like um, Morricone kind of stuff, you know, w- with what he was writing for the record. Yeah. And I was very, very much influenced by the final Harvey Milk album, um, which oh, I think all is right. just, I just think that's a masterpiece and, and something that always stands out to me about that record is how the drummer is playing the kit more like he's um, – you know, more like each part of the drum kit is an individual drummer in an orchestra. So he's not. Yeah. He doesn't play fills over the entire album. He just doesn't just just doesn't do it. Um, but he doesn't sound boring, and every hit is deliberate and calculated. So that was the sort of approach I took, and we really did think about every single bar and every single hit. So. There's no jamming, you know, that only in the very, very final few minutes is there some improvising in the playing. And, um, yeah, so it, in that way, again, you, you just got to let it turn into what it turns into, but we were pretty deliberate. And somewhere along the way we just kind of realised it's just going to sound stupid if we sing over this. Like, it's again, this sounds a bit wanky, but I just sometimes think words uh they really get in the way if you like words are great when you're trying to take the piss out of someone or you're trying to say something really specific or you're trying mm-hmm. to um jace is good at writing words that aren't too you know like that they, they can be quite they're more um paint a mood than a, a specific idea but yeah yeah it just sort of seemed like yeah they're, they're just going to get in the way so it kind of became like that that was another point of difference in the album for us. Um, that all right, we're we're focusing on songwriting in a slightly different way because you know there will be no hooks, there'll be no choruses, there'll be no, um, yeah. But yeah, it became very very cathartic 
to us. And um, it's just, yeah, very different different sort of thing to play. I suppose because when we play it, <laughs> it's you, you're really committing to this kind of 40 minutes of of one idea, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier on in the interview, but Dead has now become a three-piece. Is that with the saxophone player? No, funnily enough, we we kept like hoping that she would, we could convince her to join. Um, but uh, no, so we've got another bass player who is nice. The bass player from my high school band, Firewitch, which was drums and two basses. Yeah, um, yeah. And we'd actually, he actually played a, a bit of noise on like the second album, and we'd always said to him, you know. He should join the band sometime, and he'd always said, "Yeah, yeah, I'd love to." But he he's never really lived anywhere near us. He's travelled a lot, and then sometime, I suppose, last year, he moved to Ballarat, which is like about an hour from us. And we just said, "We'll just join the band." And basically, we've said, "You're in the band. Just tell us what you can and can't do. We won't stop and wait for you." So we'll play shows without you when we need to, um, you know, and we'll keep running the band as we need to. Like you, you don't really – I sort of learned enough through when I was in a band with him when we were kids where he didn't really want to do any of the, you know, boring stuff. He just wanted to kind of rock out. Just play live music. Yeah, and that, you know, was ultimately partly why we broke up because I really fucking resented it because I was like, dude, I'm doing all this – work and you don't even know because you've never done it before like you've never yeah worked. yeah so now it's a really good arrangement because it's like well you don't have to do any of that stuff um we'll you know continue to make albums um without him and also with him and yeah you know we'll tour uh it's also just changed it's just made us be able to do more diverse stuff so that as a general rule, the songs we play in the three-piece mode um, don't. There's very little crossover, so we play different sets. Yeah. Um, when we're a two-piece, um, you don't have to, but just most of the songs that he plays on have become. Ah, oh, well, it just sounds better with him now. Why would we do it without him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just different material, you know, just material that we just. It's got to have a bit more breathing room to allow for him to, you know, fit in. Um, but he's been great. He's been so good because one of the problems we've had when we've tried to encourage people to, you know, like collaborate with us is they usually end up saying to us, man, you guys just have your own language. I don't actually know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> and Tommy just from the word go, and it's just how he is, he's just like, I'm in the fucking band. I'm in this band. Like he he's not hesitated at all. Probably took him about, you know, half a song the first time we played as a three-piece to kind of like settle in. Yeah. And I, I just love it. Well, hopefully it wasn't one of the 40-minute songs. <laughs> I, I just think it's so cheeky. I'm like, fuck, look at you go. Like just. <laughs> it's <laughs> you, like we've been just... doing this shit for ages. You've been here for half a song and you already get it. Yeah. And, and that's what we really needed, just someone to like absolutely go for it and not. It's kind of hard thing to explain, but the way that we play we're not waiting. We're not, if, if you 
if you make a mistake or whatever, we're not waiting for you. So we need someone that just can kind of um, carry themselves and deal with that, you know? Yeah, and, definitely. And he's very, he's very much that that player, yeah. I did want to double back um, to the saxophone. Is it all throughout uh, The Laughing Shadow? Yeah, so Jenny is um, Jace's um, girlfriend and that meant that, you know, he was able to, when we were in lockdowns, you know, keep sort of showing her bits and go, uh, you know, this is what I'd like you to play. So he might play, you know, a melody on a, a guitar or something and be like, you know, this is what I'm envisioning you playing over the top. Um, so I'm just making sure I get this right. Yeah, so Jenny practised all of that with him and then came in and played all her parts as um, overdubs. So nice. like, I don't think we were actually ever, you know, the, the two of us laid down all the beds to all the songs live, but I don't think the three of us were ever in the room together. Um. Uh, yeah, sorry, we were in the room together. But we weren't performing together. And, yeah, she was sort of taking the role of like, you know, we were sort of say, said to her, you've got to be like the horn section basically because <laughs> we can't, much we can't like get the, anyone uh, else. <laughs> I was about to say, much like the, the drummer on that final Harvey Milk album played the drums like each separate part in an orchestra, you're like, all right, Jenny, you, you're here, you're doing, you're basically a a one-person horn section. Yeah, so we got her to layer stuff a fair bit. Um, but, again, it's all very, like, um, if you listen to the album, there's, you know, there's not a lot of, like, embellishments and stuff going on there. Every 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 piece in that record until you get sort of somewhere towards the end is, is really, really deliberate. So um, it was kind of like, all right, this is the melody. Um, and just play it <laughs> like how an yeah. orchestra would. Don't don't play it and then do little widdly widdlies at the end or whatever. You actually just doing. Everyone's sort of doing their bit for the kind of for the greater good, if you will, of yeah, creating this kind of mood. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is I don't know what it is about having saxophone or brass over you know quote unquote heavy music. But I think from how well it can create a mood to how just utterly abrasive it can get, it's one of those instruments that complements it incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, we, um, like Jenny, you know, her background is in playing in punk bands. So we felt good about, you know, her being able to fit in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have done it just with a classically uh, trained one or like someone who's only grown up in that, like, you know, the real conservatorium type. Well, just we just wouldn't have done it with someone we didn't know. Like, we actually had, so, the, and I feel terrible because I've forgotten their name because I, I can't um, pronounce it pretty easily, but we played with an Italian band when we were on tour in Europe. Oh, dude, nice. And they, um, they're kind of like a grindcore band, but with drums. Okay. I think drums, um, tuba, and and maybe trumpet, or maybe two what? tubas. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. That sounds and awesome. 
Well, look, they're really, really good. They, they are like they and and they're stupidly like you know physically good. Like to see what they can actually do on a tuba is insane. Yeah. Um, so I actually did contact them early in the making of this record to say, hey, you know, we're working on something where we're going to want a horn section. Would you want to do it? And they said yes, but. Then as we kind of progressed on writing it and we realised how sort of in-house it was all going to be, like we recorded it literally down the street from where I live um, and, you know, we recorded it with Mike who recorded um, uh, Raving Drooling as well. And it just kind of suddenly became, I think because the um, – material was so personal it became like i actually don't want anyone involved in this that we don't know well it would have felt a a little bit weird having someone from the outside coming in and performing on something that is so personal and so you know close to your heart yeah and i would have felt bad if i would have had to have said oh actually we're not going to use that or and and probably that how isolated we all were like it just sort of felt more like nah this this is our world right now it's just these yeah exactly you know, it's just the people within five kilometres. Um, so, yeah. Um, I was about to say, man, five kilometres, lucky you had the studio down the street from you. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot of rehearsing um, at opposite ends of the room uh, with masks on. Uh, that was the other reason, actually. We, we wanted to have something that we knew we could perform and we thought, oh, you know, we'll probably be, back to performing live but <laughs> but but in masks so let's and we were very foolish to think that of course because the whole live sector <laughs> just got completely just you know um like Dude, ignored that's, that's genius should we have words on this record nah man we're gonna have to perform in masks that's just gonna be a nightmare i honestly thought that's i thought look this, this is what's so upsetting about this whole thing we could have had gigs during all that time yeah. If if this industry wasn't based purely around consuming alcohol, like <laughs> That's we a could good have, point. We could have had a situation where people sat down in masks, distance from each other, and 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 bands played. And it actually would have been a really COVID safe thing to do. Um but that's not the way our industry is set up. So it we just did that other thing where we went all right, we're closed. Oh, now we're open and everyone can just fucking cut loose. Oh, shit, now we're all sick again. Sorry, we're closed. You know, it was just a nightmare. But we yeah, did genuinely ro- think. it's like The roller coaster of that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, and we just thought there's no, like, this is like we can't be playing a show where we're yelling into microphones because you're literally spitting out into the room. So, yeah, it, it's hard to remember what informed what, but, yeah, we, we definitely... It just wasn't a time for celebration. No, so it, it was a, it was more somber, and and I'm really glad that we were able to get it done because like the the recording dates got pushed back a number of times because of lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. And I was almost hitting a point where I was like, I don't, I actually don't want to hang on to this music anymore. Like the the mixing process was quite. Um took a lot out of me like I would go to Mike's house he lives about two and a half hours away so I would drive over um 
and we'd spend a day mixing and then I'd drive back home or I'd stay the night at a friend's and then finish the next day. And, um, yeah, it was kind of that thing where I was like, I really want to do it justice, but I really actually want this to be over. I don't want to, like, I don't want to keep listening to this. <laughs> it's just actually a bit too much for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that we were able to do it and now we can kind of, now it's up to us. If we want to keep playing it, we will. If we don't, we don't have to, you know, we've got other things. We've got other records already um, that we want to release as well. So I yeah. was going to ask, and to wrap up the interview, I was going to ask what's the plan for the rest of the year, but it seems like you guys, in true dead fashion, already have a shitload of albums lined up. Yeah, well, the plan for the rest of the year is actually just to, like, I guess get the shows done that that are booked. We would really like to um, get some way up the East Coast before the year ends, but I actually just started trying to do that um, this week and it looks like all the places that we would generally play um, are, are booked out. So that'll probably have to happen early next year. Um, yeah, and it's probably just we got to make a decision really between how much do we play live and how much do we record because we've got new material that we've written as the three-piece, so that, that's like the next recording project is to record as, as a trio. And, yeah, we do have another two records actually nice um, sitting on the shelf and never stops doesn't do you no and i've kind of got to work out how do we be realistic about you know like yeah all that boring stuff that happened during covid like we would normally press final overseas and that's now really really um backed up and yeah i remember uh, i was having a chat to the guys from malignant aura last month if not the month before and the other painful thing is as well they would they were saying that the vinyl plant that they went through because they weren't you know a big name someone that's going to sell immediately out of all this records they just kept getting pushed back because all these other you know these big swinging dicks would come in and be like oh we've got this record coming out so the planner getting contacted with them and be like hey sorry We've got to push it back because we've got this. I don't know. I think they said like a soundtrack or something was coming in and they knew that, that was going to go. So are you now pressing all the vinyls in Australia? Uh, well, this one we pressed, yeah, at Program Records in Thornbury and they're, they're really great. Um, we, we've always, like it's always bummed us out that we haven't tended to press here, but it's just been an economic thing that it's made more sense to press in the Northern Hemisphere and leave you know, about half the pressing there. For all um, the distros overseas, yeah. Yeah, and then whereas it's it's prohibitively expensive to do it the other way around because it costs yeah. more to press here. <laughs> so that's the only reason. Um, yeah, and we, uh, you know, it's a tough one because every time I release a record, like a vinyl record, I think oh, this might be the last just for the fact that it's, yeah, it's, it's an expensive thing to do. It's inherently got risks of, you know, at our level where we're usually pressing, you know, 500 or less. Mm. If they if they make a mistake, you know, tend not to want to fix it, that sort of thing. And our focus has always been on the music, not the format. Yeah. Um, 
but we also really want it's it's a weird sort of like little um paradox i suppose in a way in the sense that you just make the music you know because you you sort of have to you can't help it and then you know you don't want to put too much energy into then trying to sell it um but it is good to share it and we're probably at a point now where where we can go well you know we've been doing it for this long and we keep selling records so there are people out there that want to buy them it's just a matter of like making sure you can find them each time you release something because there's so much noise isn't there like yeah, I literally I can't keep up with my friends you know like the music they're releasing I, and I literally I buy most of my in fact almost all the music I buy is a I buy the download on Bandcamp yeah and then you have to like, navigating through Bandcamp and all the new releases there totally then... I can't even the ones that I've literally that I've like paid for I I sometimes I go shit Fuck, I've had that for months and I still haven't properly listened to it. Like, <laughs> oh, dude, I know that pain all too well. Yeah, so it's about like, you know, and and because we have that problem where we are, you know, it's not a problem but it's a, it's a challenge, I should, should say, because we do release music quite frequently, we can't do what an, uh, another band might do, which is like, you know, well, this will be the album we have for sale for the next three years. So, yeah. Um, for us, it's usually like, you know, half a year or a year or something. Um, so, yeah, we will just keep doing what we do. But um, I am always, you know, I'm always think, thinking about, all right, how, how can we maybe do it differently? How can we maybe get some of those songs out of our system without going through the the full process? But we do really love, like, recording with a proper um, sound engineer. And getting things to sound good, like a, that, means a lot to me. I'm not not a big fan of the, you know, sounds like someone recorded it, you know, in, in your shed on a laptop mic sort of thing. It just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, and but, especially yeah. with how dense a lot of the music that you guys make is, you do need that high quality sound production. You need it to be mixed well so you can hear all the elements. Otherwise, it does get muddy. It gets really confused as to what's happening. Yeah, there's a fair bit of sonic information, I suppose. Um, so yeah, but yeah, your question was, what are we doing? It's it's strange for us because, yeah, I would like to just be back on tour, but um, it's almost like starting again with some of it. You know, like half the venues that we would play, they don't exist anymore, and so having to um, find new venues, and then yeah, having to find new venues, and probably like a lot of people, kind of reassessing like. Hey, what are we willing to put up with and what are we, like I sort of touched on it before, but we're not actually big fans of um, the whole like, you know, absolutely like how integrated um, live music is with just um, making money for beer companies. Yeah. It's not why we do it. Like we we got into music because we love music, not because we love drinking. Um, we know a lot of people in our lives that, um, you know, that, that can be a real barrier and particularly like, you know, I was 14 when I started playing gigs in pubs. So for the first four years of my music career, none of my mates were allowed to even watch me play. Yeah. You know, so that, all, yeah, it's that barrier. And I, go, I think it goes 
a long way with you guys doing the all ages shows. Um, Cause I know that when I was younger, yeah, seeing bands touring and you get really excited, you get really keen, you see the announcement, you go to buy the ticket and then the fucking dreaded 18 plus text yeah. comes up somewhere and you just go, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're also in a kind of time of reassessing a bit of that stuff and going, man, some of those venues that, we played for 10 years straight where they fucking, they treated you like shit. Um, and, you know, music is not at all the priority and it's, it's excluding how many a lot they of can people. Sell, yeah. Yeah. And it's excluding a lot of people. So we're in a process of kind of trying to go, fuck, can we, can we do a little better? Um, can we, can we still go to those towns, but maybe, yeah, and it doesn't matter where you play. It's, you know, going to be sort of harder for someone. And, you know, sometimes a really great DIY space has really terrible accessibility if you're in a wheelchair or, yeah, you know, so you, you can never get it perfect. But um, it's trying to find the balance though, isn't it? Yeah, we're definitely interested in, you know, prioritising if we can playing venues where the, like the, venues in which the priority is the music <laughs> not um not just selling booze and because that's just our audience as well we're not you know we've played shows where we've had you know 100 people in the room and the bar said you know that was terrible that was worse than a monday <laughs> like sorry everyone was just watching the music i guess yeah how fucking dare they go to a gig yeah. and and only just watch the music what kind of shit is this but it's a problem it's a, it's a real problem like i get it from the venue's perspective there's going well that's literally the only way we make money but there's yeah. got to be got to be something we can do because that's not how like if you go to see the latest Marvel film at the cinema, it's not <laughs> full of people just getting on the piss, is it? Like, but I suppose if you go one of those uh, those flash cinemas where you can buy a beer, there might be a couple, but, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, there's, there's, not, there's not like a mosh pit, at, you know, uh, of people, you know, getting drunk at like, you know, the um, like theatre production, you know, <laughs> down the road. Like, So there's something about our, our industry that's... Um, yeah, I think, anyway, going on a tangent, but a, a lot of people have been having that same sort of like, all right, are we actually happy with everything that was going on? Because some of it's pretty shit, you know, like we, we had it recently, you know, we went up to Sydney for the first time since the pandemic and it's like, oh, man, we've come all this way, we're lending gear to the other band, you know, uh, and then we get there and then the sound engineer doesn't want to let us set up, you know, because we sort of set up facing each other. And I sort yeah. of think... I think, you know, we travelled 900 kilometres to get here and now you're freaking out about me moving two and a half feet from where you would like me. And we're not doing it to be difficult. We're doing it because that's the show that we do, you know? Yeah. Um, I just find that really frustrating, whereas when we've toured in Europe, it's the other way around usually where they go, all right, what do you do? What do you, what do you need to make? you know, to, to facilitate us, you know, helping you do what you need to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's going to be where I'm kind of prioritising for the next little while. Like, yeah, how do we play places where we can prioritise the music? But, you know, I might eat those words and next time I speak to you we might just be playing at some shitty pub. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it goes back to you being a 14-year-old playing gigs in pub. Nothing like nostalgia, yeah. I suppose. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us this evening, mate. Uh, if people did want to check out your music, any upcoming gigs, uh, where would they go? How can they get in contact with you? How can they find your music? Yeah, probably actually the best place is if you just go to the Bandcamp, which is deadsounds.bandcamp. Um, I make sure that, like, the gigs uh, are maintained on that. Um, so it's better than sort of wafting through the social media, you know, um, noise. And and that's where, where we put literally every release that we ever do. It's all up there. So, yeah. Beautiful. And obviously, you know, uh, it is the day and age where Facebook's a, a touchstone for a lot of people. So um, I'm guessing there would be a way to keep up to date with everything there as well. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I just find it's – I don't know who's on it and who's not and stuff these days. So, um, Oh, no, dude. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. If I didn't do – stuff with radio and if I didn't have mates overseas, I just wouldn't use social media at all, you know? Yeah, and increasingly I know that people that come to our shows aren't on it anymore, so yeah. um, I figure like the band camp is like, yep, I can I can promise you that I put our shows on there all the time. So you won't you won't miss it, you know.